Welcome to podcast number seven of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors, a monthly program about creating and operating a successful financial planning practice. We're a presentation of the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners, known as ACP, a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique retainer-based fiduciary business model. I'm your host, Ken Robinson. On our show today, changing lanes from insurance sales and asset management to holistic financial planning. You can't be around financial planning for long without realizing how much of the industry revolves around assets under management. We talk of AUM when describing the size of a practice, a method of calculating a client fee, and the service a professional delivers. With the AUM model being so prevalent, why would you switch to a different way to practice and a different way to charge? Our guest is Steve Swicegood, CFP, founder of Conscious Money Solutions, LLC, a fee-only financial planning firm in Amarillo, Texas. Steve started his professional life in the insurance business in the 1970s and began offering financial planning in the 90s. He founded his current practice in 2009, offering comprehensive financial life planning. Steve, thanks for joining us today. Ken, I'm glad to be here. So uh, tell us something about the services that you currently provide and what makes your practice different from those of other planners. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I think probably the best way to describe it is comprehensive. Some folks say holistic. Basically, uh, our practice, pretty much we want to talk uh, with our clients about every issue uh, in their lives that touches money. Uh, and the mundane things that you might ordinarily think of, uh, insurance and estate planning, taxes, obviously, uh, and investments, but also uh, some of the things that other planners are uh, reluctant or afraid or unknowledgeable, uh, don't want to talk about. Uh, in our practice, honestly, we do a lot of coaching and counseling around money. I, I really like drawing out of my clients their goals and dreams and aspirations and then using the tools at hand which is their ability to go to work and earn money uh, to to build out the kind of life that, th that they could enjoy uh, with just a little bit of, of guidance and strategic planning. Now, you didn't start your professional life that way. Tell us something about your professional journey, Steve. Sure, sure. Well, as you said, I started in the insurance business in uh, 1974. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, hired uh, into a very large insurance agency. And my early job there was the personal lines, car and house insurance. But as well, uh, since I was the new kid in the building, uh, I, I also got all the weird jobs to do, like uh, researching how to write coverage for a dynamite hauler or a turkey farm or, <laughs> uh, believe it or not, uh, a hot air balloon. Uh, we wrote the very first hot air balloon policy ever written in the United States. So that was my start. And out of that research and kind of getting those weird jobs dumped on me, uh, I learned a lot about risk tolerance, a lot about risk management, 
uh, a lot about, frankly, how to ask and what kinds of questions to ask, <clears throat> knowing that uh, when we cabled London, and we really did cable London back in those days, uh, we had anticipated the underwriter's questions and answered it. So my interview skills uh, got to be pretty well honed. But, it, but I enjoyed property and casualty business, but also in that same year, married, bought my first home and made my very first investment when the sales charge was eight and a half percent up front. So yeah. anyway, I, I was always interested in, in investing in taxes and that type of thing, but it, it wasn't what I did. Uh, so fast forward, uh, I worked through a couple of different jobs in the industry, uh, but ultimately my goal was to own my own agency, which I, I did in 1984 and uh, was successful at a great agency, <clears throat> but my clients were continuing to ask uh, more and more questions about, you know, what I do, my, my mother passed away and I inherited this money. I would get uh, uh, single ladies recently divorced and they want to know, I got all this money out of the settlement, what do I do? So there are financial planning questions <clears throat> that really didn't have much to do with property and casualty insurance, but I, it just in interested me and uh, made the determination in the uh, middle 90s that I really just, uh, party casualty was fine, I enjoyed it, but I'd done all that I could do there and uh, financial planning was intriguing. I felt it was a necessary service. So I started offering uh, planning under the AUM model mostly uh, in the early uh, to middle 70s. I actually read an article about Burt Whitehead uh, in 1997, Bert was from the same area of Arizona that I'm from. So I picked up the phone and called him. He's very gracious. We visited. Mm -hmm. And uh, so from that, uh, I sort of set my sights on what was in the Cambridge methodology. Uh, and it took me from 97 till 2010 to unwind my property and casual agency and kind of organize things in such a way as I could make a seamless transition. So your change into financial planning wasn't because there was anything wrong with the property or casualty business. It's a perfectly good business and people make a fine living at it. It, it sounds like it was because your clients had other needs they were bringing to you as their trusted advisor and you wanted to do more for them than you could just as their property casualty insurance provider. My agency was an affiliate, affiliated with what we call a captive company, but under the captive agency system, you're restricted to selling that particular company's products, mm -hmm. and you're restricted from offering any other advice or service that wasn't within the scope of those products. So it's kind of hamstrung, in my mind, to do the kind of work that I felt was, was necessary to do. You were confined to the role of a salesperson, even if your clients wanted you to be an advisor and you wanted to advise them. That's correct. And our, uh, you know, it's a bit of a joke in the industry, but uh, you can always tell the, a, a lot about a company uh, by the compliance officer to rep ratio. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> and and as the compliance officer to rep ratio continued to increase, uh, you know the things that we and they were innocuous. There weren't anything that was any, tax advice being one of them. It went from we don't care to no, you you cannot give tax advice, you know. And so it it just it was very apparent to me that I need to move on. Uh, and truly be independent if I was going to do the things that I felt my clients needed to have done. So you moved on to the AUM style of practice, and uh, then and what made you decide to make a change from being uh, an AUM style advisor? That too is a very uh, good living. That too is a very well-respected profession. What was it about the AUM experience that had you looking for something else? Sure. And in some ways, I'll kind of go back to this uh, compliance officer to, to rep ratio. <laughs> you know, you know, but the broker dealer and they're very kind broker dealer that I uh, we're, we're still great friends to this day. Uh, but once again, they just had issues uh, around anything that wasn't. Uh, cut and dried asset management uh, or if you wanted to do planning that was fine uh, but uh, it kind of had to be separate and you, there wasn't that way to integrate the planning on one side and the implementation uh, on the other and I think the bottom line is the, at least this uh, broker dealer and again they're great people they just didn't get it in terms of what we're really trying to accomplish here. Uh, so that was one thing. And then the other thing is, you know, I personally had uh, internal conflicts over AUM uh, when it came time to uh, talk about things like, what well, do I pay off my house? Uh, you know, do I take this money out of this brokerage account or this management account that you're taking care of? Do I take that money out and go do this over over here? just ordinary life questions that you certainly come across but my advice affected my pocketbook uh and and which didn't prevent me from giving the advice certainly but i thought well that's a this is a dumb way to to do business uh you, you ought to be free to give all of your clients the very best advice uh, that you're capable of without regard to well gosh that affects this line or that affects that line. Um, so that was that was a big part of it is one more step in my mind to distance myself from uh, some conflicts as, as I saw them. Uh, and then the second thing was positioning it in the eyes of my clients and potential clients. I'm a bit of a control freak. I really like doing everything. And uh, I, I really kind of want to know where my clients are spending their money and, you know, what, wh where they're getting their tax work done, what that looks like, um, where they're getting their insurance and what that looks like. I, I, I don't want to sell any of that. I, just, I, I wanted to know it and understand it because those are all pieces of the larger picture. I wanted to be able to do more uh, from a compliance standpoint, but I think more importantly, I wanted my clients to understand that I could do more. So it was really the desire to give the best advice that the situation called for without feeling 
like you had a built-in conflict to overcome uh, that led you to a change in how you went about figuring out your fees for example I didn't want to feel conflicted if you will uh, mm -hmm. when advising a client well no you really shouldn't pay off your house take that two hundred fifty thousand dollars out of uh, this account that I'm managing and charging you for, not because it affects my bottom line, but because at this point your life is a dumb idea. You know, I just want to get away from all of that. And can I go make a point here? Uh, also, uh, thinking about the folks who might be listening, one I went through 2000 and 2008 as a, an AUM advisor. I don't ever want to do that again. Because out of uh, circumstances and situations that were absolutely out of our control, no fault of mine, my clients, or anyone else around us, you know, we experienced significant reductions in income under the AUM model, uh, but our workload was, was even greater, frankly, during those time periods. And once again, I thought, well, this is a dumb way to get paid, uh, tying your revenue stream to a force over which you have no control uh, and that I'm, I'm just putting that out there some people may not see it that way but from a business perspective in order for us to survive and thrive and be available for our clients we need to figure out a different way to get paid I remember talking with colleagues in 2009 mm -hmm. and meeting up with them and asking them so how's business and I remember one saying to me well everybody's having a really tough time right now and what I said was yeah and I always regret not having said I'm having my best year ever if you want we can get together for some coffee and I can tell you all about it because I can't help wondering if she would have preferred a model where she wasn't so much at the mercy of the market to know whether or not it was going to be easy or hard for her family to make their own mortgage payment that month. And, and I have to point out the reverse of that is true. Under the AUM model, uh, unless you're just hiding under a rock or asleep at the switch, uh, your revenue ought to be growing. We've had a tremendous 10-year uh, run in this stock market, and I'm sorry, uh, that's not because of our particular genius in picking you know sorry you know and, and if you're out there and listening and you think you're a whiz-bang stockbroker I've uh, or stock picker let me say that then I've got uh, this uh, oceanfront property over here in Arizona I need to talk to you about right so we've seen this huge run-up in assets and consequently in fee for AUM managers uh, you know, the, the, I can't tell you I'm not a gloom and doom guy but the day's coming when uh, some of that's going to given back and uh, it just in my mind get off that merry-go-round it's it's a dumb way to get paid so you spoke of the need to spend quite a long time more than a decade unwinding your property casualty practice <laughs> uh, I imagine that was the hardest part of making the transition well it, it really was because it was a huge transition and and your your, your first thought is fear frankly that your clients are not going to, they're not going to stay with you they don't want to do that you know so that's always your first thought is oh, this is so new no one understands it it's, it's radically different from anything we've seen before my clients aren't going to stay with me 
So that was my first fear, which led to the second fear, which is, gee whiz, I'm so smart, I'm going to go broke doing this. So yeah. as it turned out, neither one of those fears were remotely warranted. Uh, it sounds like the transition from an AUM style practice to the financial life planning practice that you have now didn't impose nearly as much difficulty. What would you say were the challenges of making that transition? Well, the first challenge is to get over yourself. Uh, If you've been in business for any length of time and uh, you you can tell where your clients first stand in, in the relationship, I think we maybe sometimes undervalue our own value in the lives of our clients. So I just had to go over myself, suck it up, and go talk to my clients and say, you know, here's what I'm doing. Here's why I want to do it this way. Uh, here's our, These are the changes that, that you, you will see, which in our case involve moving uh, to a different uh, custodian. Uh, and, and here's how we're going to charge for all this work. And I, I really, I didn't, I didn't have one person say, well, no, we don't want to do that, Steve. You know, they, uh, to a person, every one of them said, well, see, you know, you know what's best for me. So whatever you're recommending, that's, that's what we want to do. So I just had to go over myself and just, just do it. And, and I don't know, psychologically, instead of, Starting with the what I, if you will, the easiest clients. I thought, no, I better start with the hardest clients first. <laughs> so, you know, my biggest clients. If one or two of those blows up, you know, I'm just I'm waving the whole thing off. <laughs> it's a very wise strategy. But I think about what that says, Steve, about your role in their lives as a trusted advisor. That they will say to you. Steve, if you think this is the best thing for us, that's what we're going to do. That's the gold medal as far as giving financial advice is concerned and I think shows how much your clients value your contribution to their lives. Well, it, it, it does. And Ken, that's a huge weight. I, I have to tell you honestly, to really get and, and recognize that these people have placed all their, their, their trust with you. The tenets upon which ACP was founded are so pro-client, so uh, wrapped up in the fiduciary standard, it keeps me on the straight and narrow, frankly. My gut check always is, you know, is this the absolute best I can do for the client? It's a privilege, I think, to wear uh, that kind of responsibility for your clients. It's interesting you should say that. We often talk about the privilege of being a fiduciary. And yes, it's a responsibility to take on that level of expectation from your client that your client's interest will always come first before our own interest as the advisor. But I cannot imagine practicing any other way. And it makes my compliance life very easy because it's kind of hard to break compliance rules when you're constantly thinking this next thing I've got to do is going to be in the best interest of the client. Right. Yeah. My audits are very boring. Usually I wind up teaching the auditor, frankly. (laughs) I I understand uh, exactly. So is there anything you miss about the AUM practice, Steve? 
not really. Um, uh, um, so I, you know, I came out of a sales background, and you're measured by your sales success. And I was, you know, in my insurance days, I was, I was very successful. I, I spoke at company conferences uh, all around the world. Uh, so I miss the thrill of the kill sometimes, but, yeah. but we're at capacity. I at a place in our practice that I really cannot personally take any uh, additional clients. So I, I sort of get over that. So that's the one thing. If I had to, uh, you know, had to point and say, "Gosh, what's the one thing you miss?" I, I kind of like, you know, I, I, I kind of like making that big sale and ringing the bell. But not enough that I would change. You know, it's just so it's like if you're ever a smoker, just every once in a while you think, man, I'm dying for a cigarette. So <laughs> <laughs> do you think you'd ever go back, Steve, to the AUM no. model? No, no. And I've had opportunities. Uh, I've been approached by different organizations that, that uh, just because, I, you know, when you're around as long as I am, you get a bit of a name for good or ill. Uh, Steve, come run this program for us. Come do this program. But no, it's back to the sales mode. It's back to quotas. It's back to big conference. Uh, you know, those, all those types of things that, you know, if you get rewarded for selling uh, 100 life policies in a year or for selling X million dollars worth of annuities, please explain to me how you've done the best you possibly can for each and every client doing business that way you're in a much better position to evaluate that than i am never having been on the aum side uh, mm -hmm. which seems to focus on of course gathering assets never having been on the sales side where i needed to sell a policy uh i can only listen to those who like you have been there and uh i i don't feel like i'm in a position to to judge and i will say this uh, I need my life insurance policy and I need mm -hmm. my property casualty mm -hmm. coverage. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's an area that I see a lot of our clients needing guidance on property casualty. But I also see the advantage in their having guidance on that from someone who is not paid to sell them a policy. And they can be confident that when I'm saying, man, umbrella coverage is such a no-brainer for you. It's inexpensive. It provides all of this benefit that they know I'm not saying that for any reason other than it's what I professionally believe is right for them because my compensation isn't going to change whether they get it or not. That's a luxury on our side, I think, to be able to say, here's what you need and here's why you need it. Go and do you know, if I recommend to a client a disability policy or life insurance uh, amount or changes to their car and house insurance, it's not because, you know, I'm going to get a little extra out of that. It's because that's what they need, you know, and, uh, and, just, and I'll point out that's always their decision. You know, Americans are fanatics about buying insurance. Mm -hmm. you know, so, and sometimes we have a little tussle over, you know, uh, what I call the uh, gimmick policies, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have this little, I have this policy that'll pay ten thousand dollars if I get cancer. It, but read the fine print. You have to be wearing purple underwear, standing on a street corner at noon in New Orleans. 
you know. <laughs> so, you know, that's facetious, but that's why I'm trying to get them to understand, you know, that there's a reason that that policy is $3 a year. The exposure for insurance company is nil. The point of the matter is we are absolutely free to give our clients the very best advice that, that we are capable of without any inkling at all that we are conflicted in any way. And not just on insurance or investments, but on income tax planning, which you talked about earlier, on cash flow, on estate planning, on what would make them really happy in life. You get mm -hmm. to advise them on that whole scope of their financial lives. It, exactly. Again, kind of back to, you know, my desire, if you will, to to coach and counsel and cajole and hope people, you know, I, I, all those things are, I, I want to say those are the facilitators of this longer game of what, what do you want your life to look like? And so I have a lot of freedom there to kind of coach people towards their goals and, you know, point out, this is your goal. This is the direction you want to go. Okay. On the insurance side, those are the things that we buy just in case something happens along the way. Uh, and on the investment side, these are the things that we structure so that over the period of time with reasonable expectations, that your monetary goals to accomplish that are, are present. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I'm just off of, I don't need to sell a product. I don't need to manage your money uh, for an AUM charge. I, I need to help you live your best life possible uh, with regards to money without any of those concerns. Steve, we've been talking uh, about how you moved from an AUM practice to a retainer compensation practice uh, mm -hmm. of type that uh, ACP teaches its members, and I noticed your website doesn't even mention a figure for AUM. It doesn't mention minimum assets required for people to become clients of your practice. Well, that's that's right. Uh, I don't, and I don't really have a minimum. Uh, my market today is actually young physicians who come to us uh, with a negative net worth. They have no assets. So, you know, they've got. Two hundred fifty to five hundred thousand dollars worth of student loan debt. This, under the retainer model, uh, since we are going to charge based on income, assets, and complexity, I, I still have a format in a way to charge these young physicians uh, a, a rate that's adequate for us. We still get to make a little bit of a profit, but they're getting great, great service. Literally building their financial life from the ground up. That sounds terrific. What a great well, way to practice. It, it's fun. Uh, like I said, I've, I'm, uh, I'm full up now. We have a young man that joined us in January, and uh, he'll be ready here in, in uh, a little bit to, to start picking up uh, some of those. Uh, but again, that's back to the coaching and counseling. You know, that's we were deaf on budgets and cash flows for these young doctors, and mm -hmm. just really, you know, there's a lot of pent up consumer demand, as you might imagine, mm -hmm. <laughs> when they yes. come out of residency and, yes. uh, and go from poverty wages to very substantial six figure incomes. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of tempering of expectations. Yeah, but that's one of the places where I imagine you provide the greatest value at helping them see, let's build some wealth for the future so you don't have to work forever. Right, so, uh, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, Steve, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us today. All right, Ken. I enjoyed it, sir. You've been listening to Steve Swicegood, CFP, founder of Conscious Money Solutions, LLC, a fee-only financial planning firm in Amarillo, Texas. There's a link to Steve's website in our show notes. This is podcast number seven of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors from the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners. ACP is a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique fee-only retainer model. For more than 20 years, ACP has trained advisors in the practices and tools of a comprehensive process rooted in the uncompromising values of fiduciary fee-only planning. Our members are pioneers and innovators who together have perfected a unique retainer-based, tax-focused, comprehensive approach, providing a distinct alternative in the financial planning marketplace. ACP offers a lower cost associate membership for those who want to learn and apply ACP's methodology prior to becoming certified members. For more information, call 910-769-1569 or visit acplanners.org.